12.04, so let's just go ahead and get started. So welcome everyone to the this edition of CRE 101. Uh, we're excited to see all, all you guys tuning in. Uh, today, I'm actually really excited to host Elaine Nunn. Um, she is a managing partner at Impact Acquisition, who, which is a local M&A firm. I, I, I'm assuming you guys have multiple locations, is that correct? Or is this? Is um, this we don't. We, we do obviously service uh, uh, regionally and, and some national accounts. Just That's depends awesome. on the transaction. Sure. Yeah. yeah. No, for sure. I just want to make sure I introduced you correctly. Yeah. But yes, she's a managing partner at Impact Acquisition. She's been in the business for quite some time. And I mean, I'm really excited to host her because I know she's going to be able to provide a ton of value to everyone in the group. And yeah, we're just really excited to host you, Elaine. Oh, thank you. Thanks, Raphael. I appreciate the opportunity. Oh, of course. So generally speaking, when we when we first invite people on on for the to the group, I mean, we like to learn a little bit more about themselves. So would, could you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and what got you in the uh, in the business? Okay, do we have that much time? Right. <laughs> no, just kidding. Yeah, did. I'll try to give you the Reader's Digest version because I've sure. been in the business for so long, I could go mm -hmm. on and on. But um, yeah, um, currently a managing partner here at Impact Acquisitions, have been in the M&A business brokerage world for, yes, 25 years. Um, most of my practice was uh, here in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, been with uh, national, um, it was VR business brokers at the time, was with them for 12 years, moved on over to Remax commercial divisions, uh, opened their uh, business brokerage division for them, spent three or four years there, hung my own shingle for a while, and then decided it was time for a, a change in scenery and uh, moved west to Boise, Idaho, and uh, Salt Lake City, spent time in the Intermountain West about 10 years and partners with a, a large M&A firm out there and um, decided two years ago it was time to come back home to Louisville and um, been back for two years and been hard at selling businesses um, ever since. And so nothing has changed. Nothing has changed. Awesome. It's my love. It's my life. It's, uh, you know, it's been my career for 25 years. So that's, that's phenomenal. And you also have a stint as an entrepreneur. You've owned your own businesses for a while as well. Is that correct? I have. I've had uh, I've owned 10 or 10, 12 different business opportunities all here in Louisville. Um, everything from, um, from an advertising agency, mm -hmm. which I was involved with for about five years uh -huh. um, to uh, restaurants, had three or four restaurants, a couple of very large nightclubs uh, mm -hmm. here in, in Louisville, um, had dry cleaners, a chain of dry cleaners, a chain of ladies clothing stores throughout the state of Kentucky, uh, coin laundries, um, physical rehabilitation centers. So pretty diverse background in my business ownership, which I think obviously has really um, given me a leg up when it comes to really getting in down into the trenches with the buyer and the seller. I've been there, done that several times mm -hmm. and uh, I get it. I truly get it. And that's helpful from a client perspective. Cause again, I mean, that type of experience is invaluable. So awesome. So as far as buying a business, um, can you tell us some of the pro pros and cons of buying an existing business? Um, I can. Um, you know, there's, two trains of thought, you can either start from ground zero uh, and build and, and take three to five years to hopefully be successful, but the stats will tell us that 60% of new startups will fail within the first three to five years. So obviously I strongly suggest you look at, at buying an existing business and so the advantages to that, obviously, is that you buy existing cash flow. You buy income from day one. You have a built-in customer base. You have a built-in employee base. You have a, hopefully, a seller who will help you transition and not leave you hanging all by yourself. So you have all that support coming to you uh, at a small price, yes, you will 
sometimes you your money that you invest up front that's what you're actually buying instead of having to invest and wait 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 spend money spend money and hope you'll be successful buying that existing business gives you all the advantages and the benefits of having cash in your pocket from day one definitely no of course so in in some of the i guess some of the cons associated would just primarily be the in front of upfront investment or how, 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 how would you, I guess, grapple with that, the, the differences? Well, obviously um, not, there's not a, a risk. Obviously there's always a risk in, in buying any business, but buying an existing business, there's a risk. It's like um, the biggest, I always uh, try to instill in my buyers is to, uh, to make sure you've done your homework, make sure that you're buying into an industry that fits you, uh, something that you're uh, comfortable with, something that you can see yourself owning for at least five years and something that you want to spend your time and, and money in. Um, but uh, the, the, the downside is that sometimes there is um, such a relationship between the seller and his customers that for a new kid on the block, a new buyer coming into the, the ball game, it's a little bit sometimes can be difficult to kind of break that uh, transition period and make it go smoothly. But um, that's always a risk that you take. Yes, you might lose a few customers in that transition, but Typically, if the transaction is handled correctly, if the confidentiality is observed, if the buyer and the seller agree on how that transition looks, it can be a very seamless process and a very, yeah, very profitable process in, in background. So other than that, it's just uh, more money up front. I think there's usually more cash out of pocket up front to buy an ongoing business. So if you're wanting to save some of your chips for um, another investment, uh, then a startup is certainly probably going to be less expensive. No, I, 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 just, I appreciate that feedback because it's always good to kind of see both sides of the coin to see if it is right for you. And we'll dive into some of the due diligence process, which you're talking about, which I'm really excited to learn about. Cause I mean, that's something that I'm definitely not too familiar with. So, I mean, as far as, uh, the financials of a business, because I generally would understand that you're, you're buying a cash flow for the, for the business. What are some of the things that you look for when you're analyzing the financials of, a, of, a, of an existing business? Well, I don't want to give a, cat, a class in mm. accounting because obviously I'm not a CPA, but mm. sure have analyzed uh, a lot of um, financials for over thousands of companies. So um, obviously what you want to look for to begin with is do they have good financials? Mm -hmm. uh, I guess you've heard of those businesses that operate out of a shoebox. Um, we still sell some of those today, believe it or not, but it, it certainly is a, a huge benefit if the sellers have all their financials in order, if they can provide at least three years of federal tax returns, uh, prop, internal profit and loss statements to match those returns. Any current, if you're in the middle of a, of a calendar year, uh, you need certainly need current data in which to, um, to analyze, to digest. So you wanna make sure that you have all of those tools, all those financial tools in front of you in addition, uh, obviously accounts receivable, accounts payable, and, and some of these are obviously due diligence items, but to start with, it's, it's having those tax returns, having those internal financials to match up uh, and to have the ability to go through those line item by line item and explore uh, to really see what, that's the makeup of the business. That's really, you know, where the rubber meets the road. Um, you'll find that the internals usually will give you more uh, detailed data. That's why we always like to have that to coincide with the tax returns. Their, um, their expense items particularly are, are rather um, small and then they're limited. 
but an internal financial statement explodes all those expenses and gives you a detailed itemized picture of each category, whether, whether it's insurance, whether it's payroll. Um, so um, always look and have those uh, at your fingertips to start okay. the process. Yeah. So, so primarily it's just getting the data in front of you is I'm, I'm assuming with a lot of these businesses, it, I mean, if they have a bookkeeper and they and they've been actively maintaining their financial records, uh, getting the profit and loss statements, like you said, and balance sheet and accounts receivable just in front of you so you can start analyzing it's just the first step, really. That's, that's step one. And, and then, of course, you're going to be comparing year over year, you know, how, how does it look? How has it been trending for the past three to four years? Do we have, you know, a, a line going north or do we have a line going south? Uh, and what are the reasons for any major variance? Is there um, an anomaly for one year? Was there a huge customer that that uh, left, you know, uh, that left a big hole in, in the income? So always compare those. We always look and compare and see how they're trending um, year over year. Um, also, you want to look at any non-recurring expenses, something that jumps off the page at you, uh, an expense that's totally out of sync with years prior. So you you know you're looking very detailed. Is there any uh, variances in the cost of goods sold? So you're just we're really you want to look at every aspect of that financial statement and understand it and know exactly what what it's going to look like for you, the buyer, moving forward. Definitely. And, and again, depending on the business, whether you're in retail or whether you're a service-based business, all those financials are going to be different. So I think having someone like you in, the, in, the, in, in their corner can kind of help you illuminate those financials a little bit more clearly, I imagine. Um, yeah, it, it, it does change. Uh, tax returns, not so much. Um, obviously, cost of goods sold, um, the expenses are going to vary to some degree, but um, the, it's pretty much going to be pretty straightforward. But those internal P&Ls are going to give you a, a more detailed picture. And again, manufacturing versus a service business, it's, you know, it's about the cost of goods and some of the other expenses will vary, but the bottom line is that that, that tax return is going to kind of give you the, the real picture. Definitely. So now that we understand a little bit on the financial front, I mean, people are, I mean, uh, businesses are made up of people. So I was wondering if you could maybe talk a little bit about uh, analyzing the organizational chart of a business and kind of getting an understanding of what are the risks there when you're analyzing uh, a business. Uh, good question. Um, what you really, I tell my clients, my buyer clients to look for is, is the seller the business? I mean, is he really the only driving force in that organization? Has it been the seller that has generated all those years of, of customers? And is the income really tied to the seller? Because when the seller goes, are the clients going to go? So if, if he has been a smart owner along the way, he has built a good management team. He is assuring himself and another new owner that he can walk away tomorrow and that business will not skip a beat because there is good management in place. So when anyone's looking to acquire, that's, that's always a, a, the first thing you wanna ask, you know, who's here that can step up uh, because as a new owner, you're not gonna be able to fill all those shoes. And so you do wanna make sure that, uh, that there's good management in place. You want to know, does that management team have employment agreements in place? Do they have non-compete agreements in place in the event this business sells and uh, they happen not to like the way the new buyer parts their hair, perhaps they're, they're out the door. Um, so what does that look like? You know, what is that? Is there a non-compete that they can or they can't go into business and take all your customers? So, and oftentimes, um, 
the management team will have an ownership interest. They will have an equity position in the company. So you wanna make sure of um, what that looks like, what percentages and is there a buy-sell agreement in place, et cetera, et cetera. So that org chart and who is in charge after the, after the owner leaves is, is critical. And that's one of the first pieces of information that I like to look at in addition to the financials is to see, yeah, what does this look like after a sale? Definitely. The, the book, E-Myth Revisited, um, does a really good job kind of outlining some of, well, not necessarily the, the organizational chart, but from a system standpoint, um, it was, did, I don't know, are you familiar with the book, right? The E-Myth Revisited, Elaine? I'm sorry? E, the E-Myth Revisited. Uh, right. Yeah where it talks a lot about the systems in place um, such that, you know, if, if you were to leave the business, it's not falling apart or, you know, it just doesn't, it can't exist without you. So. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, awesome. unfortunately, most business owners aren't that forward thinking. They really don't prepare for the, for the time when, when a, a new buyer might step up and, and take control. They're, they're never prepared for that. I'm going to tell you maybe, 2% of our sellers are, have really thought that through and, and done their exit strategy planning uh, years in advance. And so it's, um, it's important. So if there's any business owners listening, I would strongly suggest if you haven't thought about the day you're going to sell, you need to start today. It may be a 10-year 10 10 year plan. It may be a two-year plan, but I think every seller to have that, those systems in place is, uh, it will add more value to your business than you could ever imagine. Definitely. For sure. That's some, that's some phenomenal advice. So now that we've kind of talked about some of the organizational uh, components of a business, can you talk to me a little bit about maybe some of the legal items that people should look out for on the purchase of an existing company? Well, again, I'll have to use my disclaimer in that I'm not an attorney <laughs> nor a CPA, but certainly have after six, 700 transactions have seen a little bit of everything and the pitfalls and, and what to look out for. And we are always very involved with the legal uh, team of the seller and the buyer. Um, oftentimes because selling a business, it, it's usually a one-time event for a business owner. It's, um, it's not something that they do every day or every five years. So um, uh, they, need a, they need a lot of hand-holding and they need their legal team in place. So we work very closely uh, with, with the attorneys and the accountants. But um, to your question, um, I think some of the legal questions, number one, um, is there any ongoing litigation you know, with this company? Are there any lawsuits? Are there any judgments? Are there, um, are there any uh, disgruntled employees you know, that are causing a problem? Um, so those are all pretty good legal questions. Also, who really are the decision makers in this business? Um, how does the ownership break out? Um, some, I could, you know, we could go into some horror stories of in the beginning, oh yeah, I own this business. Um, and at the end of the day, when you get the tax returns and you see that, oh, uh, they have three partners with tw all 20% ownership in the business. So, we really haven't been talking to the, the decision makers. So um, to really identify who really owns the business and what percentage of that business do they own? Are they legal? Are they operating under a, a legal entity in that state? Do they have their, their um, all their taxes filed? Have they paid all their taxes? Have uh, is their entity registered with the Secretary of State? Um, if they have a DBA, is it registered and is it protected with the state? And sometimes nationally, you'll want that. So those are all legal questions that, you know, the 
seller should be able to answer. However, um, it's not uncommon for them not to have that information at their fingertips. Again, sellers are very busy running their business. They, their day-to-day -day operation and concern is, is having the income come in the door and uh, making sure the employees are showing up. The last thing they usually want to think about is the legalities of, of their operation. So again, that usually hits the table when, when we M&A folks walk in <laughs> and it's like, okay, where do we find that? So uh, those, are, those are the primary ones. There's obviously upon closing of a transaction, a buyer should be very comfortable and confident that that deal is not going to get to the closing table until uh, the legal team has investigated, researched uh, all the aspects of that company, liens, encumbrances, again, lawsuits, judgments, all those things that are a matter of, of public record, but you have to dig for them. So, um, and particularly if there is a lender involved, uh, SBA uh, particularly, uh, those folks are just kind of your another set of eyes, if you will, because they're going to be doing a more in-depth, you know, analysis also, and their requirement list is pretty long, also in terms of the legalities that that have to all be covered for a deal to happen. Yeah, and what you mean what you mean by that is if you because you can go through the SBA to get a loan to purchase a building as well as that would oh not a building I'm sorry a, a, a business that's yeah absolutely absolutely and we're seeing uh, they are they have been uh, the lifeblood of of buyers uh, you know not many of us have you know thousands of dollars lying around in our shoebox or our our savings account that we put aside to, to buy a business, but uh, SBA does have. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's really been, uh, again, it's been a real shot in the arm for, uh, for the M&A world and the business brokerage world and, and small business buyers to have that, uh, that resource out there. Uh, they step up to the plate 75% um, of the time. They're, they do turn down deals, but uh, um, it's a, uh, it's a big shot in the arm and it, uh, I think it will continue. Yeah. Yeah. Continue. And I mean, I deal with clients on the commercial real estate side that go through the SBA and they also have those, those options to purchase buildings. I'm not businesses. I'm sorry. Uh, with, with SBA funds as well. So. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's a myth and a misconception, I believe. Uh, nope. She fell off. She's going to get, she's going to reconnect it right now. So. So she's, she's, she should be getting reconnected now. I think she just lost connection. But um, just to let you guys know, we will be asking, uh, allowing people to ask questions right after this. We have about a few, a few more questions of preset, and then we'll allow everyone to kind of chime in and ask their own questions. So stay tuned. All right. All right. Let's see. I'm I'm gonna shoot her text real quick. Okay. Give it a few seconds. Let's see. Here, there she is. Hey, Lane. Did I lose you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's all right, though. Sorry. No, no, no problem at all. Yeah. You go. Nice. My office is in the lower level of this office building, and mm -hmm. that. 
obviously creates not the best reception at times. So I apologize. Don't worry uh, about it. You're completely fine. There's absolutely I was no in mid lecture, I do believe. <laughs> <laughs> you were. I was in mid lecture giving all the accolades to the SBA world, mm-hmm. but um, no. But yeah, no, no, I will echo that though. The SBA is really a phenomenal resource and and generally they're, they're super responsive as far as like questions you have or whatever else. I mean, they're really around to help people who are small business owners. I mean, that it was, it was a organ or it was a government finance organization that really wants to help small business owners uh, succeed and grow because it's a big part of our economy. So it, it is. And I, I think where I was going with that and uh, we can get off that SBA, but many years ago when they were kind of new into the into the business acquisition world mm-hmm. um the process was fairly onerous you know and it was not streamlined at all so it, it was a bit daunting for buyers and but that has changed dramatically and particularly if you're working with an MA or a business broker person that really understands the the SBA process and has done hundreds and hundreds of, of those deals. Um, it's not as difficult as, as one might think. And it's, it's just paperwork and just a process, uh, usually um, eight to 10 week process uh, for, a, mm-hmm. for a business acquisition to be complete from start to finish. Definitely. Awesome. So now that we've talked a little bit about the legal side of things, I thought we'd dive a little bit into the the customer base side of, of a business. So when you're analyzing essentially their existing customers and the market of, of a business, what, what, what in particular do you look out for? Um, to me, the most important thing for from a buyer's perspective and, and looking at, at a business opportunity is the customer concentration. In other words, um, they may have a hundred customers, but are there only three customers that generate 80% of the business? If that's the case, that's a little disturbing. (laughs) So you wanna see that broad spread of customer concentration if possible. I have seen a queer deal because of the customer concentration where uh, a customer generated 75% of the business. So the buyer's obviously concern is what if that customer again, doesn't like the way I do business, doesn't like the color of my eyes, uh, are they gonna go elsewhere? If there are no contracts in place, if, which is, is is kind of rare in today's world for there to be, you know, contract long-term contracts with the customers. So if there aren't any of those, then um, that's a big consideration is to look at the concentration of those customers and how do they pay? Uh, they might buy a lot of your product, but do they pay you on time or, <laughs> or do you have to wait six months for their money? So. If that's the case, maybe you don't want to keep them as a customer. (laughs) Maybe there's better customers to be had out there. So um, that's number one. And and as always, again, that's on, if you look at my list of items that I ask from my seller, that's one of them also is give me their customer concentration. And for any sellers that are listening, that we M&A and business brokerage people we don't, we don't disclose any of this information, obviously, when we're doing our analysis, nor do we usually even want the names of your customers. Uh, I just want the breakout, uh, label them A, B, C, D, or one through 10 or one through 50, so I can just see how the revenues shake out um, and the AR uh, shakes out with them. Um, but um, it, it is critical to, to see that. Um, also, you can have um, a very good customer who does a ton of business with you, but you're selling to them at such a low margin, it's really a charity customer if you're not making any money on them. So you wanna make, all, make sure that the customer base is, is paying a, 
as paying a fair price, but that you're making a fair margin on their business on the business that they're they're handing over to you. So just always look at the margins uh, from the customers. Um, obviously, the competition. Um, you want to make sure who's out there, you know, um, and are you really are you really tapping all those customers that that are in your marketplace and who else has them and, and why do they have them instead of you? What do you have a niche? And um, so those are kind of the primary things that I look for that a buyer should be looking for with the customers. Um, obviously to just to have a, a broad base of customers without any um, concentration with it, at least the, no more than 15% if possible. I've seen it edge up to 20, but that those are kind of the numbers to, we look at. That's awesome. Yeah, I know. I, uh, was it Warren Buffett who says that you look for businesses with moats like that have, you know, it's harder for them. For, do, you, do you usually recommend people to buy businesses that have a, it's harder to essentially get into the business or, you know, lo, higher barrier to entry versus lower? Or how, how, how do you usually recommend that? Uh, well, uh, that barrier to entry will oftentimes play in the overall value of that business. Because mm -hmm. if it's an easy business, you know, you can go out tomorrow and start this business. Obviously, the value of that business is diminished. So if, if it has some barriers to entry that, you know, is kind of indigenous to that business, I would, that certainly adds value all the way down the line. And we'll continue with the buyer, hopefully. So I'd say look for the, you know, the, those kind of uh, companies that, that have the high barriers to entry. For sure. Okay. So as far as transition periods, because again, if when you buy a business, you're going to purchase it from an individual, the owner or owners, um, Generally speaking, do the owners help you with the transition period by providing like training manuals, on-site training, and exactly how does that usually shake out? Is there an agreement in place? Yes, and yes, uh, always, always. Uh, regardless of the experience of a buyer, um, I mean, you may be in the business already. You may own a company in the same industry that you're acquiring, but it's still different and all the complexities of that business, nuances to this particular business is going to be somewhat different. So there should always be that transition period. And it is always um, negotiated, usually in the letter of intent, you'll address that and then you will finalize the exact terms of that transition. Uh, in the due diligence period. So the general rule of thumb is that a seller should be willing to transition with a buyer for 30 to 90 days at no cost to the buyer. In other words, that's part of what a buyer is really acquiring is the seller's secret sauce or kind of his way of doing business. So you you want to make sure they hang around if nothing else but to tell you where the light switch is and you know a small incidental things like that but um but that um uh, if they remain with the company and you feel that you need them for a longer transition period usually you'll then negotiate um some compensation for that um and that is across the board. That is literally between a buyer and a seller. Their sellers, some sellers are ready to get out of there. They don't want to hang around any longer than they have to. Other sellers are just delighted. They want to stick around. They don't want the responsibilities of ownership anymore, but they want to continue. So um, that compensation is across the board. SBA says their regulations will not allow a seller to remain on with the buyer for longer than one year. So always keep that if you're, if anyone's looking and using a 
SBA loan to acquire that that is a regulation and um, they're pretty hard and fast about that. So when you prepare your documentation, all of your closing documents, you'll want to make sure that that's exactly what it says. Um, if that should spill over longer than a year, I don't think SBA is going to come and yank your money, but <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's just something to be aware of if you're going to the SBA route. Well, that's some great advice. So kind of going back on the legal side of things, but this is more so on the transition period of, of actually purchasing and then eventually owning the businesses, the non-disclosed, uh, the non-compete clause agreements. Uh, can you kind of delve into that a little bit? So once you do purchase the proper or the, the business, and then, you know, you go through the, you go through the process of transitioning over to the new ownership, how does, how does the non-compete agreement affect the seller and what are the common things you see in the market? Yeah. Um, very important piece of the transaction of the closing documents. That too is a negotiated item that gets uh, negotiated. Usually you'll plug in some, uh, uh, some preliminary times and distances. You, for a non-compete to be legal, you need to have a time. In other words, you can't compete against me for, for the next five years and you can't compete for 300 miles. So you need those two items and you also need a value assigned to that. And usually that, that's uh, kind of an immaterial, but it does need some dollar value assigned, whether it's 10,000 or whether it's 25,000, that's all negotiated. But that non-compete agreement um, in simplistic terms, obviously it's gonna keep the seller from going in into business against you once you have acquired his business. In addition, it's also going to prevent him from hiring or soliciting any of your employees once you have acquired the business. Um, and it's going to prevent him from managing, owning, consulting with, being a part of any business that would compete with the business that you just acquired. So it needs, it's very customized for each, you know, deal, obviously, but those are kind of the, the generals that you're, the generalities that you're going to see in every agreement. You've got to have a distance and a time. And so I would say, um, each industry, each business is going to be different and the buyer's needs are going to be different. I've had buyers to tell me that I don't care. He can go down the street tomorrow <laughs> and open up. Uh, but in reality, that's really not what, what you want. So um, I'm just in the middle of a transaction right now where the non-compete is a, it's a sticky wick. And I would tell you, um, because two of the partners are staying with the owner and one of them is fairly young. And he says, what if uh, the new owner and I don't get along and I wanna go elsewhere, this is all I know. I've been in the lumber and building business all my life. So I need for this non-compete to give me the right to go to work and do something in this industry. So, now it's in the hands of the attorneys, right? <laughs> and the attorneys are now tweaking uh, a, a fairly generic uh, looking non-compete, but they're tweaking it to satisfy the, one of the partners because his situation is different. He's not retiring, he's not. He's not old enough to retire. So, so but it's important that you have it. You just, you, every buyer wants it and needs it. It's a critical, piece of uh, moving forward. Definitely. No, that's some great advice. So, so now that we've learned a little bit more about the acquisition of a business process, can you, can you kind of recommend some resources that you found helpful, whether that's books, podcasts, courses, or anything like that, that you think would add value to people who are looking to potentially purchase a building, a business going forward? Yeah. Well, of course I'm going to recommend they call me first. Mm -hmm. I have lots of experience and can help you, guide you, direct you in, 
in many ways. And uh, there's no cost to a buyer, you know, from my perspective. The seller usually pays my fee. Uh, I've sometimes engaged with a buyer representation um, situation, but usually not. Um, but besides my um, years of uh, information and uh, wealth of information there, I, um, I always recommend um, the International Business Brokers Association. They're probably the oldest and the largest and have some of the, in my opinion, some of the most experienced and knowledgeable people in our industry and uh, have been around the block. And this is, you know, they've served on this, this, with this organization for years. So there's uh, all kinds of resources from that organization. Um, there's another one called the um, Business Brokerage Press and Business Reference Guide. And uh, they too are um, a great resource of information. Um, they're, um, they have a, a, a database that will kind of help you look at businesses and, and the, uh, how businesses are selling nationwide and each industry is different. So it, it kind of gives you a heads up on that, which is very helpful. The multiples that are being paid on, on cash flow. Um, Biz by Sell is a great resource to find businesses for sale. Uh, in your area, and you can tweak that and fine tune that. And uh, if you're looking in the Louisville market or Atlanta market or Pittsburgh market, wherever, uh, it's going to pop up and, and give you all the most. All it won't always, we don't, I don't always put my listings or my opportunities on, on BizBuy, but most often we do. So that's a great resource to find opportunities that are available. If you're looking for research, backup data on businesses, what's the margin? What should the margin be? What should the cost of goods sold be? How much revenue per employee should this business be generating? Uh, that you'll find in uh, resources such as IBIS World. It's I-B-I-S. IBIS World is a great resource. And Pratt Stats is a great resource for that. So I utilize most all of those databases. So again, I can, I can certainly help, but, but those are some, some national and some resources that I would recommend. Definitely. Well, that's some great information. So, well, at least for now, I think that's the, the set questions that I wanted to ask you. I kind of wanted to give some opportunities for other people to ask some uh, questions uh, in the audience. So if you guys have any questions in particular, feel free to unmute and, and kind of ask away. I'll be looking at Facebook as well for those who are watching online and we'll kind of go from there. So feel free to hop on. What was the uh, second place that you said you can uh, look for multiples and uh, things like that to compare what your business should be looking like whenever you're looking to buy one? Uh, business brokerage press and business reference guide. Um, I'm not, I cannot tell you uh, for sure that um, whether you need a subscription to access that material or not. Okay. But if, if you do um, and you don't want to pay, call me, I have, you know, I subscribe to that and I can pull up any, uh, any of that data that you might need and get it to you. Okay. Um, I've, I've got a few questions. Sorry. I'm, I'm a big question asker. So That's fine. Um, if you're buying a business, um, can you, like, if I wanted to buy a business that some other broker had um, for up for sale, would you, can you do like a, you represent me and they're represented by someone else or is it strictly through the person selling it? Uh, that's a good, is it Phil? Donald, 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 yeah. Donald. Um, that's a good question, Don, and it's a um, kind of a, a topic that we uh, M&A and business brokerage people, because we do operate differently than residential or commercial real estate. Right. Usually, business brokers will not co-broker. With another firm, some will, some won't, but the majority will not. Um, 
they oftentimes will simply pay a referral, okay, which is fine. And I, I work under that scenario sometimes. So, um, but if you're not comfortable with the company that has the opportunity for sale, uh, then come to me or someone else and let us try to, to work the deal for you and let us get go be the go-between, if you will. So you know that you're getting good representation. It's, I think it's important. It's important. Yeah, for sure. Um, with, uh, this is another question. With SBA loans, um, I've heard a few different things like typically 10% down is what I've heard, but um, I've also heard that you need like a month's worth of cash flow or uh, working capital requirements. And then I've also heard different things about whether or not uh, the business needs to have like physical assets that, um, that they can, you know, for collective. Collateral. Yeah, collateral. Right, mm -hmm. right, right. right. So would you mind to uh, like elaborate on that a little bit? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll, I'll start with your last, your last question in that, no, it does not have to be a company that's laden with assets. It can be a service industry. Uh, what really drives the, the approval process for SBA is the cash flow of the company and the credit worthiness of the buyer and their experience in that industry. So those three items is what really will drive their decision. So you don't need the assets necessarily, okay, to do that. Um, your, the 10% is a rule of thumb, obviously, and I'm seeing, um, I'm seeing that uh, being adhered to by SBA. They were a little flexible with that in the past. COVID has obviously um, changed the complexion of that to some degree. It's kind of tightened them a little bit. They've tightened up on that. So 10%. However, I will tell you this deal I'm just doing now, just got approved the buyer cash came in with 7.5%. And the seller came with 2.5%, getting our 10% and, and the lender financed the balance, which was phenomenal, phenomenal. So you gotta have the right broker yeah. <laughs> helping you negotiate that and know when and, and how to make all that work and if it will work without wasting a lot of time and effort on it. Uh, gotcha. Because it is a science and, and we folks that have been helping people with SBA deals for years, we, we get it and we, we deal with it every day. So, so let's, let's go with your 10%, but know that it's possible. It's possible based on the deal that you could come in with a little less. The working capital piece of it, SBA will want you obviously to have working capital and they will fund that for you if the business can support that additional debt. They will roll it into your loan or they will give you a line of credit either or. Again, just each deal is, is different. It's, it's specific to the, the transaction. So, but they don't want you to start from ground zero with nothing in the bank. They know they would like for you to have three months working capital. If you're looking at a business that happens to have a fair amount of receivables on the books, sometimes we will negotiate for you to, for some of them or all of them to be included in your purchase price which gives you automatic working capital for, with those AR, those receivables. Gotcha. Yeah, but no, they'll want you to have some, some level of, of working capital. Okay, so if you have like, I don't know, I'm just making up numbers here. Let's say you have $50,000 saved up. It's not likely that you're gonna be able to buy like a $500,000, a company valued at 500,000 because you would be using all of that money on the 10%, you'd more likely be looking in like 250, 
300,000 range maybe? No, no, actually, uh, if you look at straightforward at 10%, uh, now keep in mind that at the end of the day, it won't be 10% of the sale price of the business. It's gonna be 10% of the project cost, what SBA calls the project cost, which is going to be your, your purchase price, less what any seller financing there might be. Then on top of that, they add back your working capital amount. Let's say you want 100,000 in working capital. So that's added to your loan. SBA fees, which are about three and a half percent of the loan, that gets added back. They finance that piece of it. So it will ultimately be 10% of the total project cost. All those items I just mentioned gotcha. into one. So, okay. but if, uh, theoretically, yes, you could with your $50,000 buy a half million dollar business. Absolutely. I will just tell you again, just a classic example. This was one I just talked about the 7.5% down. He's buying a million, $1.5 million business and a $1.5 million piece of real estate. So he's doing a $3 million deal out of his pocket. His out of pocket is $278,000. So I rest my case. Okay. Yeah. yeah and then that, again, with, with SBA, you can also do the real estate purchase as well. Right. Um, so right. that's another thing to consider as well. Um, yeah. SBA, is, SBA can be very beneficial for people who are looking to acquire a business or, you know, if, if there's a piece of real estate involved in there, you can roll it all into one, just kind of go, go from there. And when, when there's real estate involved too, correct me if I'm wrong, Elaine, that the, there, there can be some beneficial terms as far as the amortization periods. And uh, cause I think if it's just, and I, and again, I'm not an expert on the SBA, but I think if it's just, you're buying, like, for example, a business, what's the amortization periods and terms on those, on those loans usually. Right. On just the business, you're going to be looking at seven to 10 years, it depending. Mm -hmm. We try to always get it stretched to 10. 10 is the max. However, uh, where if there, as you indicated, Rafael, with, with the real estate included, oftentimes we get up to 25 years amortization for the total package, which really helps minimize your, your debt service. Yeah, mm -hmm. minimizes your debt service. So that and that's based on of the total package it's based on how much of the purchase price is real estate and how much is business the more that's attached to the real estate the longer the term the longer the amortization i had a can i ask a question too regarding the sba loans so what are the chances of someone being able to secure a loan buying a business that they have no experience in that particular industry and that business is absentee owned? Um, not impossible, but difficult. Okay. As I stated, um, and how we oftentimes mitigate that, okay, is if the buyer, if you have someone that is knowledgeable in the business, if you bring them into the, to the uh, mix, into the buying process, uh, and even with less than 20% ownership, if they have the experience, that's what you're looking for. If they have less than 20% ownership, then SBA does not require them to go on the loan documents. They are not considered as a borrower. You are still the primary borrower. But now you have the experience piece here with a 20% owner or 10%, whatever you give him, but to try to find someone that has that experience. Without that, you gotta beef up your resume. <laughs> we gotta try to, to uh, customize your resume. In other words, to, if you've had maybe uh, just an inkling of experience in this industry when you were in college or, you know, whatever. We, we try to accentuate that, if you will, and make your resume appear that 
hey, no problem. He can run this business. Okay, that's good to know. Well, could you get away with that? Like, I'm, I'm a CPA, is my background. Um, I did management consulting, work on a lot of big projects. So I kind of have that business background, working through ambiguity and whatnot. So can I bypass that experience with my business and accounting background, you think? Um, not always, no. I, I'm just telling you straight up. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a, yeah, we try, I'll guarantee you. And that, um, again, it will all really is going to, to come back to the, the business and the cash flow of that business. And what can that business cash flow support? Can it support you buying it uh, and maybe hiring someone to come in to run that business or help you run that business? But at the end of the day, your business background and your business knowledge, your accounting experience will, will help. It won't always guarantee you a loan approval though. It will help. Again, it's that resume and how, we, how you tweak that, how you slant it to, we know what they look for. So we always try to, to make it work, but there's, there's other avenues. I, I think it gives you a leg up without a doubt without a doubt. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, uh, Don. All right, uh, if you're buying this, this is uh, kind of for both of you guys actually. So if you are doing a business deal that includes like land or an office building or something like that, is it required slash beneficial to have a commercial real estate agent kind of on your team with you to help navigate that and look through that? Uh, I mean, I, I would say of. so just because of the fact that, you know, it, I mean, commercial real estate, it, it, it could be a very simple transaction or it can get very dicey. And I've seen some very dicey transactions. Just to give you an example, I'm looking at a transaction right now for an investor client that, you know, the, the, it's, it's, it's an old Rite Aid, right? So it was, um, Essentially, it's shut down, so, but they, they still have the corporately back lease on this Rite Aid. So it's a vacant building, and that's fine. So the, 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 the concept would be to buy the building, negotiate with Walgreens to release the, the lease, and then they pay us up front for backing out of the lease and then using some of that money to go to the down payment. Now, the problem is there's part of that land that is not owned by the building owner. The parking lot is owned by a trust, like an <laughs> old person who's owned a land in this area forever. So they have a land lease on the parking lot with the right to purchase in five years. So they have to negotiate in five years to be able to purchase this property for an appraised value in five years. So there's a lot of moving parts. Now that's a very complex transaction. There's other ones that are probably a little bit more straightforward, but you really won't know until you start diving in. So again, I would say it's probably a smart idea to involve professionals in whatever business dealings you're you're dealing with i mean even if you just have questions just feel free to reach out we we're here to be of service you know um yeah and keep in mind too that um again anytime you use the sba funding you know the, the, they have requirements that they're going to uh insist upon uh, before they'll finalize a real estate you know whether it's a environmental study phase one obviously appraisal has to be done um so uh, if there are leases in place, they have to be reviewed. So again, you have that second set of eyes to, to kind of help you. But yeah, as Raphael said, if you can get a professional involved, professional real estate person, then it's always to your benefit. Mm -hmm. Okay. Definitely. Cool. Yeah, I guess I, I, had, I had one final question that on my front, um, more so on, on the business side of things. Um, I remember we were, we was going to ask you this earlier, but I just wanted to see if I could ask you what, what, what's the difference between an asset sale and a share sale? Could you kind of dive into that a little bit? I will. And uh, I will try not to bore you or, or go over. That's a, yeah. that's the, always the elephant in the room, mm -hmm. <laughs> if you will. Um, and it's obviously it's uh, it's going to depend the actual benefit, there's two things. Obviously, the liability issue of buying a stock, making it a stock sale. When you buy corporate stock, you're taking on uh, essentially 
even though you're going to be indemnified, but you still will become the bearer of any liabilities, hidden, now, previous, whenever. So most buyers and buyer's attorneys will say, avoid a stock sale if you can. Uh, seller's gonna indemnify you till the cows come home all day long till from the time they ever owned that business. But the reality is if you're buying the corporation, it's still gonna fall on you in some point in time also. So from a buyer's, it's, it, that's the, the danger, I guess, of, of making it a stock sale. There are advantages sometimes for a buyer that will kind of wash out the liability if there are contracts in place and those contracts, business contracts are with the corporation and not with the DBA and not with the seller themselves. So in order to maintain those contracts, so there's no transfer issues, you would want to try to make it a stock sale to make it a seamless transition from that regard and not have the possibility of, of losing that that income or losing that customer base, if you will. So, so stock sale. So stock sales really you purchasing the majority of the shares within the company. Is that what you're referring to? Typically, if you typically you're purchasing a hundred percent, yes, you can mm -hmm. purchase less. You know, um, again, I go back to SBA. If you're self-funding this, or if it's uh, conventional financing. Uh, there's not much of an issue to, to buy a percentage, less than 100%. SBA will not allow that. You cannot buy, you know, you have to buy 100%. You can't buy 80% let the owner maintain 20. Not going, they just, that's, that's just a rule, hard and fast rule that they have. So, um, but um, the other main issue and the difference between asset and stock, and it's always a big consideration, is the tax consequence. And Nick, you can probably address that better than I can, but I will say that it, it is the biggest consideration. How it's structured will impact the tax liability of the buyer and the seller. In an asset sale, you can maneuver that sale price, you can allocate it in many, many different ways uh, to benefit whomever. In a stock sale, nah. What you're buying on that balance sheet is what you're buying. <laughs> so that's a huge difference. So each deal is different. Each buyer and seller's needs and wants are different. So you, you just take it a deal at a time. But I will say that um, I have one stock purchase in the. I think we, we muted you. Oh, excellent. Muted you. Sorry. You're just unmute. Sorry. Um, I just, a uh, brand new, uh, I'm doing a, an LLC transfer. So not a stock, not an asset, but they are transferring the LLC membership end of conversation. <laughs> so similar to a stock, but yet different. Uh, so those folks that have formed their LLCs that you can, yes, sell your membership to transfer it and, uh, and walk on. Yeah. But that's just kind of a, a not a very in-depth view, but those are the primary points that, that buyers and sellers are considering when they are trying to determine, do we do an asset sale or do we a stock sale? A seller on a, if it's a C corp, they're going to have double taxation. They're mm -hmm. going to pay double taxes. So they usually want no part of that. If they do, guess what? You're going to pay more on the purchase price usually to compensate for that. So it's all negotiated at the end of the day. It's really all negotiable. Well, there's so many strategies that you can approach. And that's why I thought I'd ask it because it is an interesting, it is an interesting concept because again, you could you could decide that maybe that's the better route for you to take for whatever exactly. reason. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Well, yeah. anyone else have any other questions? I don't want to take up too much of your guys' time. So, uh, Don, do you have any, any more questions? <laughs> no, I'm good. You sure? I took up enough time. 
No, no, no. They're, they're really helpful questions. And I, I think it's super important to kind of talk about this topic because again, one, it's something I'm really interested in because I'm a, I'm kind of a business fanatic. So I like the, I like learning about different business related concepts and talking to someone who has as, as much experience as you have in Lane about these topics has been really illuminating. So I'm just really Good. thankful. Good. To, Good. Well, yeah, I'm glad I can be of help. And if anyone has any questions offline, please uh, feel free, Raphael, if you could. Yeah, I was actually going to ask, could, how do people get in contact with you? What's the best way to get in contact with you? And I'll share this in the show notes as well. Um, yeah. Yeah, just um, just email me at uh, elaine at impactacquisition.com. Uh, go on to my, our website, uh, Impact Acquisition. You'll find my contact information on there. Um, BR549. <laughs> no, just kidding. Uh, call, call me on my cell. The best way to reach me, 502-419-6690. That's that's great information. I, and again, I will share this in the show notes as well. We will be recording this for YouTube. So this will be available in perpetuity. So if you have any, you know, you, you have any questions or that you had and that you, I mean, you want to just re-reference this, this call, it'll be available for you guys. So any other questions before we hop off? Good. Well, thanks again, Elaine, for your time. And thanks to everyone who, who tuned in and thanks to everyone on Facebook that, that's watching. And I guess we'll see you guys next time. Okay. Happy Thank holidays. You, Thank you. Happy, happy Thank holidays you. and happy new year. Yeah. yeah. See you guys. You. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.